Episode 52, CrossFit Testing. Welcome to the Oxidative Potential Podcast, where we discuss all things sports science and performance. I'm your host, Matthew DeRoche, and with me is my fellow co-host, Phil Batterson. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. So uh, Matt and I were just having a heated discussion on the use of lactate and other variables and those sort of things. And we wanted to record it because we thought it would be valuable to everybody. And just know that uh, him and I, we try to keep very open minds about what we use for monitoring exercise performance and how we assess exercise performance and those sort of things. So we don't want this to sound like we're just totally throwing lactate out, but there are definitely some limitations that we want people to be aware of that comes with lactate measurements. And that's the same with any measurement as well. So I'm kind of trying to temper a little bit of my, my thoughts on lactate, because I definitely do think there's some benefit to it. So, and if you actually, this would be perfect. If people who are, who use lactate a lot, want to listen to this and then come and like, like, let's have like a healthy debate back and forth. Cause I think this is a very, a good topic. And it's something that we need to discuss more as researchers and coaches and athletes, like what to use, what their limitations are, so on and so forth. So with that, I'll let Matt jump in and kind of go from there. Yeah. So this is getting me fired up because I feel like with exercise physiology, a lot of people I talk to in the space, they have such a strong pull towards one methodology or another methodology. And also with the technology that we use, there's so much bias that goes into that. Who did you learn under? What textbooks did you read? What experience did you have? Did you get to use a $30,000 metabolic cart? Um, did you not? Like all these things are going to make, how well does the software run? All these things make bias on what you are going to end up wanting to use to, to measure. And one thing I love, like literally everything. I love glucose, testing glucose on step tests. That's a huge correlation with assess, like minimum glucose, blood glucose. And uh, I love lactate. Lactate's awesome. I love Moxie. Moxie is just a beast because it's just so reliable. When you get that thing dialed in with someone, it's super reliable and it's just like zero stress. I love the metabolic carts, but the metabolic carts are expensive. Mm. They're costly to run and they're finicky. And they're time consuming, expensive. There's a million different things, but I love everything. And that's the thing is like, I don't care. Like just because something has a lot of limitations, it doesn't make me hate that thing less or say that thing is useless. Right. And when it comes to lactate, when we're talking about measuring lactate in the blood, right, you're measuring this flux of how much lactate is being produced and utilized and what's ending up in the bloodstream at that moment and that time. But let's just think about the amount of things that affect that. So your hydration level, right? Because your hydration level affects your blood volume. Your blood volume is going to affect your lactate. So that, that's one first and foremost, your body fat percentage, right? That's going to affect your lactate. Also, when we're talking about your dietary patterns, what did you eat in the morning? What did you eat before you got tested? What did you eat the day before? How full are your glycogen stores? Also, what did you do the day before in terms of exercise, right? If you went out and smashed yourself and completely depleted your glycogen, or you went out and created a lot of muscle trauma on the long ride, those can create two varying degrees of what you're going to see 
show up on your first couple of measurements and the other, and then the next day. Also, what is the humidity in the air that you're testing in, right? That is going to manipulate your levels. If you're in a hot, humid environment testing, whether it's outside or inside, maybe you don't have good air conditioning or you don't have good air exchange, the humidity is going to affect your measurements. How clean of a sample did you get? Right. right? That's did a big you, one. Sweat was, did you put too much plasma out with, with pushing? There is a million and one factors that go into lactate measurement. So that's why whenever I measure someone with lactate, I try to standardize it like, Let's make sure the day before it's this kind of exercise, not anything outside of this range. Make sure that you're eating something similar the morning of We're trying to whittle away all the little factors. Right. And lactate's fairly cheap to test and it's cheap. I mean, it's not as cheap as Moxie because Moxie's free to text, test, but the lactate monitor itself is quite cheap compared to a Moxie, depending on what type of monitor. If you're getting actual proper lactate monitor, it's not cheaper than a moxie just right. for people to know right but all these things just play a factor and if someone wants to do a lactate test because it's cheaper than doing something on the metabolic cart that they want to check out you just have to take in consideration or if you want to look at something specific with lactate you just have to take into consideration those things that's all folks right. like there's no yeah. sense getting really i don't know why people get so married to technology and i get it like if people are part of the process they're doing research they're doing, they're working with a company that makes sense for you to spend a lot of time trying to, but to have a bias about mm. saying this one's better than that one. And it's like, that's just like saying like an apple is better than an orange. It makes no sense. It's subjective <laughs> to what you're doing and what right. you want. Anyways, that just gets me a little bit fired up. Yeah. Um, I, I think all very valid points. And I think the it's, let's talk about kind of like positives, right? We know that say, for example, heart rate zoning, isn't applicable over every single individual. Like say, for example, you just took like the general guidelines for heart rate zoning, did a maximal exercise test, determined that your heart rate was 220 or what, that'd be really high, 200. And then you did all of like the basic- One second there, Phil, you just cut out. Okay. You just cut out for the last 10 seconds. Sorry. Okay, let's try this again. Yeah. Actually, let's, is your internet on the correct yeah. one? Okay. Yeah, my internet's good. Cool. So- so what I was saying is that I think everything has its merits. So if we start at heart rate, if you do 200 is your max heart rate after a maximal exercise test, and then you break it into your five zones, that's going to work across a population level, but it's probably not going to work for every individual. No. The good thing about heart rate is that you can monitor it every single day. So for example, if you're like, oh, well, I think my threshold heart rate is 150, but every time you get to a power output, that's eliciting a heart rate of 150 and it keeps climbing then chances are you're probably working over your threshold. So you probably so it's non-sustainable anymore. With lactate, it's a little bit more challenging because what are you going to do? Take your lactate meter on every ride, poke your finger and then like measure your blood lactate concentrations during the ride. That's the thing that I struggle with the most is like I see it being practical and applicable in a research or a, a laboratory setting, but from a practical application that's where it's a little bit more challenging to me. Another thing that's also challenging is that if you look at the literature, there's like 30 different ways of determining where lactate threshold is occurring. Yeah. So which one is best or which one is going to get you 95% of the way there? Honestly, it probably doesn't matter because if you just use the same one over and over, you can probably yeah. figure out like how it's changing yeah. over time. But like Matt was saying, that value can change on any given day. 
And to just do a test in a lab and then prescribe zones and work intensities and those sort of things, just purely based on your lac your lactate response, that's one sample or maybe two samples per rest period, I don't think is an adequate way of prescribing exercise and getting the most out of it. Where I will say lactate is beneficial is if you're going to measure it every single day, I think that you can start to get an idea of, oh, on this day, I wasn't glycogen repleted. I wasn't, I didn't have full glycogen stores. So my glycogen or so my lactate levels never got super high. So from that perspective, you could use it to, to tone down that exercise that day, get some more carbohydrate in you. And then, then the next day you could probably hit it pretty hard. So I certainly think that there's a use and this is with anything. There's a use for everything, but you just have to acknowledge the limitations because if you don't acknowledge the limitations and just think that any measurement. And again, I'm sorry that we're kind of being a bully to lactate right now, but any measurement has its strengths. Any measurement has its weaknesses and there's no perfect measurement, but this is like time and time again, we talk about this, like do some, you have to do something that's repeatable for your assessments. Mm -hmm. And then also you just have to, you just have to know what's the, what are the drawbacks? What are the limitations to whatever I'm measuring? And, and then how does that inform the decision-making that we're made that we're doing? Because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, the only thing that matters in endurance performance, aerobic performance, like whatever performance you're trying to do is the performance on any given day. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the Norwegian guys is like they're so, so they were on the rich roll podcast, which I'm super excited to listen to, but they are also posting something that was like in the last year, though Gustav and Christian have won the Olympics They've won like the UCI, like world championships or something like that. They won the 70, the Ironman 70.3. They set the Ironman world record. They won the Ironman like world championships in Utah and they won it in Kona. And from my perspective, they're not tied to any single one measurement. Yeah. And that's something that I think is super incredible about like Olav is that he is not tied to one measurement. He mm -hmm. acknowledges where things can be used and he uses the, those pieces of technology for what he deems is best. Mm -hmm. So I think we could take a lot away from how the Norwegians train and it just so happens that they're releasing, you know, the Norwegian method or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. they're capitalizing on their success right now. So I'm interested to sure. see how, yeah, how this plays out. And if they keep doing what they're doing and nobody else starts to adopt their approaches to things, then I think they're going to show some domination for the next, I don't know, three to five to 10 years, potentially, because they're young guys and they're crushing it right now. Yeah. Good for them. Cause I mean, yeah, I just, I think honestly, I know everyone doesn't have the money to do this, especially if you're trying to run a lab or run any type of performance consulting or testing business it's not cheap for this technology so to say mm -hmm. you should be measuring with as much as you can is ah well yeah but you should if you can if you do have the equipment um it doesn't even matter like whenever i first got into moxie it's like well moxie is not really meant for ramp tests but whenever i started using moxie with ramp tests i was like oh my goodness this is giving me an extra massively important data point here that i'm seeing and it coincides exactly with other things that I'm looking at and it's consistent and I see it over and over again. So yeah, you should be using, I, yeah. And so, some things pair really well. Like if you're looking for that first threshold, Moxie and lactate 
and the metabolic heart for VT1, they all, it's just massive. If you have those three and you want to pinpoint a lactate threshold, the first one or the first threshold, the moderate and heavy demarcations, those things are all amazing. I love them all. I'm a huge fan of everything. So yeah, but today we're going to be talking about CrossFit training. Speaking of assessments and challenging ways of assessing things. <laughs> yes. And we're going to talk about like, how do we assess someone that walks in the door wanting to be a better CrossFitter, maybe compete regionally, try and get to the games possibly. What is, what makes sense? What doesn't really make sense? And yeah, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to lean on Matt a lot for this assessment and application from an assessment and an application perspective. And this is actually, so this is perfect because we were just talking about the Norwegian guys and how they're kind of taking over triathlon. Mm -hmm. And I think I was listening to the Matt Fraser podcast, or he was on Joe Rogan and I was listening to that podcast and Matt Fraser was the really, I think the first one to start to do things a bit differently. Like he was telling Rogan that he was like, yeah, I would have a bed shipped to my hotel so I could get better sleep when I was doing my competition. And then he was also saying, he was like, yeah, I was eating, like, I was just like chugging Gatorade and like other things like that during my workout sessions and all of that sort of stuff to keep my carbohydrate and glycogen stores high. And I think the CrossFit community was kind of rocked by that just mm -hmm. because of some of the like, oh, CrossFit, you have to be like lower carbohydrate and like other things like that in order to have like look good and have high performance. And it's the, the relic from when they first started. But I think that there's definitely value in looking at what the elite level, the elite of the elite, like Matt Fraser was crushing everybody when he was winning his like, five, five championships or whatever. So Big learning time. from that, and he didn't look, he looked super fit but he didn't look like some of the guys like Brent Fakowski, right? Like Brent Fakowski looks yeah. like he's like chiseled out of stone. And I think when, if we think about a five-day competition, that is the CrossFit games, having a little bit extra body fat on you and making that decision to just come in just a little bit heavier so you could be more resilient and keep your, keep your performance the same over five days was kind of a game changer, at least for him. So yeah, with that, I would love to hear like, you get an athlete in, they want to do well, they want to try to qualify for, or they want to go to regionals and try to qualify for the games. What are you doing and why? Because I have a few opinions on it. So I just, I'd just like to get your take on what you do, and then we can go back and forth on that. Yeah. So the first thing foremost is CrossFit is a very tricky space to lay your hat on. First and foremost, it really doesn't have a consistent format in terms of the demands. Yes, mm -hmm. the demands are fairly similar overall, but any which year it can be more endurance-based, it can be more strength-based, it can be more conditioning-based, it can have more gymnastic-type movements. So to consistently use just one protocol to test a CrossFitter makes absolutely zero sense. So to actually test a CrossFitter, unfortunately, to do it well, they have to go through a lot of testing. The testing doesn't have to be necessarily in the lab all the time. Testing can work its way in with critical power testing, critical resistance or critical lift uh, testing. It can be anaerobic squat tests, stuff like that it can be all done in a gym, but also CrossFit specific workouts because performance 
is the best predictor of performance uh, bar none. And physiology plays an important role to understand how to manipulate that performance direction this person might want to go. Right. But to see if someone's actually getting better or not, performance is the best predictor of that. Now, when we get a look into the physiology, we get to see like, okay, why are they getting getting better? Yeah. Yeah. Are they getting better because they're actually just getting more skilled at gymnastic movements? That's very plausible. Right. Because motor learning is actually a huge aspect of CrossFit Mm -hmm. that people don't really look at. And I don't want to say they don't give it the respect, but it's like you're technically trying to coordinate yourself in many different movements, which is a very different process to just trying to get fit at something. When we're talking about motor learning, there's different processes that you want to go through with getting the brain online to make the most out of the time that you're going to be spending practicing and learning these movements. Right. So there's a reason why when you walk in an Olympic weightlifting gym, it's not just all max reps. Why do you see people do stuff with a broomstick? And that's the thing with CrossFit, you don't tend to see a lot. My partner, she's a, she was a a weightlifter for a long time and she used to coach CrossFitters for a short period of time. Um, with Olympic weightlifting, right? And she just had the hardest time because no one wanted to actually learn how to Olympic weightlift. They wanted to just try and snatch heavy weight or try right. and clean heavy weight. And she just like, she was dumbfounded by the fact that these people didn't understand actually what the process of weightlifting is. It's right. like you spend hours with a friggin' broomstick and you spend hours holding positions. It's not just all like slant. It's not powerlifting. Right, and I right. think that's what... A lot of people equate Olympic lifting to, and there's a time and place for loading heavy and there's a time and place for getting after it. But anyways, motor learning, huge aspect. Right. No, Um, I totally agree. So just to piggyback off of that, I was talking to the owner of the CrossFit gym that I go to and he was like, and I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like what sort of tests would you do to evaluate somebody's fitness? And we were talking back and forth and he was like, well, I think the best test is going to be one where like for example so he's uh he's a smaller guy probably like five seven sorry derek if i'm getting your height wrong five seven 160 but he's like jacked and he doesn't really have like like a running background so if we did anything that was like bike or run i would smoke him because that's Mm -hmm. my background anything when we have like running and wall balls, running in thrusters, running in gymnastics movements, like, or biking, whatever you want to do. He smokes me. So, so I was, so he was like, yeah, but how can that be? Like, how can you have a better cardiovascular system? And then me, I was like, well, I mean, we don't know because we haven't tested your physiology, but I think the motor learning aspect of things where it's like, you've been doing these movements. I think he's done CrossFit for like 10 to 15 years, he's been doing that motor learning and he's becoming more and more efficient at those movements. And he's just stronger than me in general. So everything is just a lower relative percentage of his one rep max. So from that perspective, it's like, I think that is like the practicing and getting more efficient is super important. But the challenge is like, how do we quantify that? And how do we measure it? Because if someone's Fran time is getting better, but we don't have any physiological inclination as to why, then how do we target things more efficiently aspects of physiology more efficiently to get them better at Fran as they start to kind of plateau. That's like, that's my biggest thing. Yeah. I think like the big thing is we don't always have to put a number on the motor learning aspect, but I see what you're saying. How do we test that out? 
well, we could take Fran and we could test something that's similar, right? We could do like an anaerobic squat test. We could do a repeated wind gate. We could do something that's going to kind of mimic um, the demands of what we're trying to do. Not that's going to mimic Fran, but maybe more so like Grace and some of these other things. But I'm just saying, you're trying to pull away the weeds. Like, did your physiology change first and foremost? Okay, if it did, then this is probably a portion of the factor. What part of your physiology change? Is it your thresholds? Was it your overall ceiling, right? Was it, and we get into the cardiovascular system, did you build more eccentric hypertrophy versus concentric hypertrophy? Someone like yourself is probably going to have a lot less concentric hypertrophy, which means that your ability to push blood through is going to be less than someone like your friend there, the CrossFit coach, who spent a long time lifting weights and has built that really thick muscular wall mm -hmm. to really force blood out where you as a, an endurance athlete, especially as a runner in your background too, going to have a larger diastolic volume, right? Eccentrics, hypertrophy, uh, the fibers, sarcomeres growing in series rather than in parallel. So those things play a huge factor, but realistically, I think first and foremost, you have to have a couple CrossFit workouts in your testing protocols. There just has to be because one way to do it is use kind of a, an event that has very gymnastics heavy kind of a protocol. Then you would use one that has more of a barbell complex kind of workout. And then you would have one that has more of a endurance favor mm -hmm. workout. You kind of, you standardize those and those are the tests, right? Yeah. Those are the tests. And then outside of that, what I'm not a big fan of, like, yes, I'm a big fan of like, if you look at some of what the UFCPI does and some of the stuff that I've even done in the past is trying to make specific physiological tests for the sport and like testing while doing the sport. And that is good. But I think that also has limitations. Like people saying like, oh, I want to text VO2 max on a CrossFit workout. Well, that's not, why would you test VO2 max on a CrossFit workout? Yeah. You know and, I mean? and it's that's just a, not relevant. Right. And that's the, that's kind of something that, that I've struggled back and forth with is like, for example, say you were like doing a, a 10 minute workout. It's like, mm -hmm. whatever the 10 minute workout is. And you're like, that's what we're going to use as like your VO2 max and your threshold and like other things like that. I think the limitation to that 10 minute workout is that there's no progressive intensity increases. So with like the, the standard principles of a VO2 max test is you start low and then you work up to higher and higher intensities. Exactly. So why couldn't we marry something like that, do something where it's like kind of a CrossFit-esque style workout where it's like, mm -hmm. you're going to row 250 meters and then you're going to get off and you're going to do like two thrusters and then you're going to yeah. row 250 meters and then you're going to do three thrusters and then so on and so forth where your rowing gets harder, your thrusters get harder. And then towards the end of that, right, you're essentially, you should be reaching some level of maximal values. But you'd never see that in like a true CrossFit gym because that's just too, it would be too hard to implement across a class, right? And I hear you because I've tried this before and I've taken stuff over the years and tried to really figure out. And I'm like, it's almost like testing VO2 max with swimming, right? It's like, it's really hard to do. And it's not really giving us a ton. It's giving us something, but it's like your VO2, like for example, if someone walks in the door with an 80 VO2 max and he's a runner, and someone walks in the door as a power lifter with a 40 VO2 max, and they both do this CrossFit workout um, kind of progressive test. Where, what does that leave us with? 
you're paving a way, right? Because I've seen the way being paved and I've seen what it looks like, but it's, there's so many factors into what you're seeing on that cart value. Right. It's, and you can see someone have drastically different measures on some of these exercise graded tests where you're doing resistance. I think using modality specific, like whether it's, I think if you're testing VO2 max for CrossFitters, I do think that's important. I think doing it on the rower, doing it on the bike, doing it on whatever implement is fine, but just understanding that's your VO2 max for a specific endurance modality. Right. If you want to test your VO2 max on a graded exercise test with resistance training involved, it's the value is just going to be, it's completely wonky for me. And I've never seen any consistency, but what I have found is using other methods, whether it's lactate and moxie, they do work a little bit better because you're getting live you're getting kind of live response and seeing the change from, because when you're looking at metabolic cart data and you're trying to make sense of like, what am I seeing here in between the rounds? You can make sense out of it. Don't get me wrong. It's just that none of the values, like your peak values or this value or that value, it's like some of them make sense. Some of them don't. Well, it's just, for me, it's just hard to make it applicable because to have someone put on a cart to do these things, right? it's tricky. It's so tricky. Yeah. So, so this is, this is a good conversation because I can totally see, say, for example, you just have your metabolic card off in the corner, you have someone go do a round and then they mm -hmm. come back and they're breathing into the mask. So with things like VO two master and other metabolic analyzers that are like, can be worn on the face now. Yeah. Obviously you're not going to do wall balls. You just like smash your face and break yeah. a $7,000 device. But I think that with the ability to have like a wireless device on your face, a wireless device on uh, measuring your heart rate, maybe measuring your core temperature, maybe measuring your muscle oxygenation. I think that could potentially give us a lot more valuable information for the response that we're actually seeing across a test mm -hmm. as opposed to like with the metabolic cart or, I mean, same thing with like potentially using like lactate values, right? It's mm -hmm. the same sort of thing as like, if you have to pause everything, just to take a value, then you don't really know what's happening to get from moment the life. previous value to the next value. Right. Yeah. So, so that's like, that's where I view it as going is like, how could we design assessments and tests where we can have things like the moxie monitor on the heart rate, like heart rate on like those sort of things, mask for metabolic analyzer. And then how do all of those variables change and are they changing in concordance with each other or are they differentially changing? And then what does that mean? Right. Yeah. They generally do change in concordance with each other. And like one, a good way to do it for CrossFitters is like a sled push test, right? Okay. It's kind of like a beep test, but you're pushing a sled. Oh, nice. Yeah. That would um, be rough, man. Oh yeah. It's hard and it's great, but it's like, you're testing your maximal oxygen consumption and these things for the specific test itself. And it gives you a value and it's good, but it's just, it's because to me, I think it's great because it's giving you a value and it's giving you something to perform, but it's like, we're testing a, an exercise test that is similar to what we see in CrossFit. Like to me, I love repeated wing gates for CrossFit. Massive. And <laughs> if you look at some of the research, it's actually fairly correlative with mm -hmm. the anaerobic squat test. 
those are both really good. Anaerobic okay, squat it, test is. I was going to say, yes. Can yeah. you detail anaerobic yeah. squat test for me? Yeah, it is essentially you take 70%, you can use 60% of your body weight and you squat that maximal for 30 seconds. So it's similar to a wing gate, but it's with a barbell on your back, essentially. Okay. And you can do these repeated, right? You see the drop offs, you see the drop offs in power. And especially when you're measuring barbell velocity on top of that, with that, right. with Moxie, with you can do lactate in between. Anyways, with wind gates, with anaerobic squat tests, they give you a really good understanding of like what's going on. What are you missing? What are you needing? Do you right, have right, really right. high peak power? What does your power curve look like? Can we yeah. change that? Is that better or worse for CrossFit depending on what the curve looks like? Yeah, actually, it is. Those things are really useful. Then because it's like. The way when you try to measure, I think like just like when I tried to measure too much, like similar aspects of CrossFit, like because CrossFit is a multiple different factor, has multiple different factors. If you mm -hmm. want to work your cardiovascular system, you're not going to do a CrossFit specific workout. To well, improve, you, should, you shouldn't do a you shouldn't, specific you workout. Shouldn't. Yeah. You should do cardiovascular specific workout. So mm -hmm. if we want to know how your cardiovascular system is actually improving, we want to test your cardiovascular system and isolate it alone, right? Okay. And I think the, my this is my view now, and I'm not saying it's right. It's just because I've had time trying to test CrossFit specific workouts. And I find just using the CrossFit specific workout as a, performance indicator to see if they're getting better right or it works really well i'm not there is valuable stuff that i've seen in those crossfit types of tests that i've done mm -hmm. there's valuable stuff i just couldn't it was a lot it takes a lot of analysis to try and figure out what you're looking at mm -hmm. is what and you have to have it standardized and it's extra data and i'll still do it from time to time because i think it makes sense in terms of using that data if you can right it's just for most crossfit coaches are like you just have to know what you're looking at when you're looking at a metabolic curve right. first and foremost right right and i think for an exercise physiologist it makes sense but you have to have enough people coming through the door to get an understanding of what you're looking at what the demands are yeah but i think it's good i think there can be many different ways to do the exercise i think the graded exercise test where you whether you're doing like what you're talking about with barbell back squat and then maybe push presses or whatever, mm -hmm. and maybe chin up or whatever. You can do all these things with a portable analyzer and it works well and you get good data. You just have to be careful depending on the device you're using at certain positions, but you just have to really make sense of like, what are we trying to find out specifically here? Right? Yeah. You know what and, I mean? Yeah. And maybe, maybe it, exactly to your point, maybe the question starts to become, where do we focus our physiological assessment and analysis on? Because I think from exactly like what you were saying, like repeated Wingate tests would be great. If you did something where you did three, three or four repeated Wingates, 30 seconds on, I don't know, three and a half to four and a half minutes of rest, mm -hmm. and then repeated that over time. Definitely. I know people at my CrossFit gym who have extremely high power outputs, but then just die over the yeah. course of that. Whereas like, I'm a little bit more like my curve is flatter, but at the end of it, I can maintain like the, like a certain amount of wattage. I like the idea of doing like either like a front squat or a back squat anaerobic test where you take 60 seconds and then you kind of do like a repeated anaerobic front squat mm -hmm. test or back squat test. 
And then I also like the idea of doing kind of like a graded exercise test. So that would cover a lot of aspects of CrossFit where we know that CrossFit is like a lot of repeated non-aerobic bouts. So getting to figure out what that is in a monostructural sense and in a strength sense, because like you can assess one rep max deadlift back squat, those sort of things, like just by having the coaches at your gym do it. Yeah, exactly. But in order to really understand like how you're getting better with the, like the barbell loads that are probably going to be seen during a CrossFit workout, doing something like a repeated or the anaerobic back squat test would be really good. Front squat. It works really well. I use front squat with CrossFit just because it's more specific to what yeah. kind of the movements, the thing too, like the sled push test works well for VO2 max testing because it has enough cyclical nature because if something becomes too, too much resistance, you get it, it doesn't, it, it, the data is just not clean. It's almost yeah. kind of like looking at a moxie where someone goes in and does 10 rep max set. It's just like, it just plummets. And then you're like, okay, well plummeted. Yeah. And then look at like the desat rate and the reset rate. And it's like, you get stuff out of that. And, but I think you can find that stuff elsewhere kind of when you're looking. And I think this is the thing. It's like some of these tests work really well because you can have the athlete do them themselves, especially if you get them familiar with, Hey, can you prick your finger? Or, hey, can you do some of these things? You can get some of them to do them by themselves. Critical power is super important. I think critical lift is super important. So from, critical resistance. So. from a Wingate test or a repeated anaerobic back squat test, could you eventually determine or get an estimation of critical power potentially by seeing what that end power is after like say four tests? Yeah, that's what critical lift and critical resistance is. So you're saying okay. it's not from, it's not the inner, but it technically could be, you could be onto something there. When I, what I see is with the critical lift and critical resistance is kind of similar to a lot of what I see with critical power. And they're both super important, I think, for CrossFitters. I don't know. Ev- I asked Evan on about this because this is when I was really kind of digging into all that stuff. And he said they used it for a bit. It just sucks and it's kind of annoying and it's cumbersome. But it, I mean, if you want to be a CrossFitter, you, you just have to do a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just a mm-hmm. part of the game. It's like you're going to have to do a lot of stuff. You're going to have to figure it's the same with MMA. If you want to be an MMA fighter, you got to do a lot a of lot different, of uh, yeah. a lot of stuff. So, okay. So then you got the other thing too, what I wanted to kind of mention on this, and I don't think anyone's ever talked about this and I don't think anyone else has ever come to this conclusion, but it's something that I've noticed max wattage on some of my anaerobic squat tests, the way that I run them and max wattage on a wing gate are the same. So when I look at max wattage from barbell velocity, it's literally a lot of the times within like 10 watts that's of ins- their wind gate, that's which crazy. is crazy. And I've never yeah. heard anyone talk this, but this is what happens when you play around with stuff. Yeah. I mean, you start to figure stuff out. Yeah. But anyways. So, so then from that perspective, they're redundant. Get, yeah, exactly. So is it really even like, do you have to do the repeated wind gate test or, and do you and have- no, and No, you don't. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. I think it's just really interesting because from that perspective, I would almost say then if we don't have to do a repeated Wingate test because we can do repeated barbell back squat test, Mm. then that just got rid of one one shitty test that we would have to do, right? So why not then say, so 
for example, this is kind of how I would approach it. And let me know what you think. I get an athlete or a CrossFitter who wants to get better. They come to me, they say, Hey, Phil, I want you to evaluate my physiology. What should we do? And then I would ask them, I'd say, well, what sort of monostructural thing do you want to get better at over this next six to 12 weeks? They say Mm -hmm. the rower. So from that perspective, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do a max test on a rower where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to do incremental three, probably three minutes on one minute off, just because that seems like a pretty, pretty solid step test. And yeah, three minutes on one minute off, because then we could adjust limiter as well. And then from that, I would have them pretty much go until failure, see what their VO2 max is, potentially calculate the thresholds, other things like that. And I would use that to prescribe extra monostructural work that I would have them sprinkle in throughout that training block. Then I would also have them do something along the lines of like, like a repeated anaerobic front squat test because that's a little bit more specific towards crossfit just to measure things like peak power output how things fall off those sort of things while they're wearing vo2 master heart rate monitor core body temperature smo2 and i'd really like to do both both legs for smo2 because i think that also gives you an idea of if somebody's favoring one side or the other so then you can start to look at say like acting that that difference. And then what I would have them do is I would just like talk to like the gym owner or something like that and say, Hey, do you guys have any benchmark workouts that you do? Mm -hmm. And how often do you do them? And I would say, it's like, okay, well, we're going to monitor your performance with those benchmark work benchmark workouts that are going to be done every four months or something like that. And then in conjunction with that, we're going to repeat like your, those two tests that we would do over time. And we would evaluate, then that would evaluate how is your physiology actually changing? Yeah. No, it's pretty bang on. That's cool. pretty bang on. Well, there we go. We like, solved it. Yeah. We solved the. <laughs> no, it's pretty pretty close. Like like I do critical lift with one one movement. Do critical power with one modality. I do a four thirty kind of step test. So with moxie and lactate and VO two. I do a VO two max test, ramp test with the moxie as well and the cart, and then repeated wing gate or anaerobic squat tests, and then you have them do their benchmark workouts, and then you have them do their maxes. So their maxes on front squat, maxes on on deadlift and shoulder press. Like strict press? Yeah, strict press, and I mean clean and jerk as well. But it's like, it's not like, this is a process. It's not like someone Mm -hmm. comes in one one day you're doing all of those tests no yeah this is kind of like a continuous cycle of like every so often you're going to do your maxes again every Mm -hmm. so often you're going to do a vo2 max test again every so often you're going to do a 430 step Mm -hmm. every so often you're going to do the anaerobic squat right um and then there's some other things that i test kind of depending on what i see and realistically if you're looking for anything more than that, I've been looking for it. Like you can play around with the sled tests and some of those things too. You, you get good data out of that, but it's just not feasible because to, it's just a pain in the ass. People don't realize it's like you have to have it standardized of where you do it because the sled pull is going to be different. The sleds are going to be different. And like the, you what you're pushing over is going to be di- different. When you're looking at the force, what it actually takes, it's just a pain to set up. It's mm. just a mess. And so then how else do we get something that's cyclical enough that has resistance? It's like, it's really hard. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, cycling is actually a pretty good one. Cycling is pretty demanding on the musculature, even though it's kind of limited to the lower legs. You can do a thruster or something like that. You could play around with a thruster. Oh, a thruster beep test or something like that. 
Yeah, but those get really tricky because it's not cyclical enough and people just tire out too quickly. So the sled yeah. push was really like the biggest, best one kind of there, but it's just a pain to work with. But then cycling, when you come off that, cycling is it works pretty well. When you look mm -hmm. at the demands of cycling, musculature-wise, physiology-wise, it makes a lot of sense of why that's kind of a good one. Yeah. About, what, about then, like an, what about like a, an assault bike? Because that would be a work, little bit more upper lower body. Yeah, no, assault bike can work well. And it just depends. I don't like using the only reason I don't like using it is because I want it limited to see. I want to measure moxie while I'm doing it. Right. So if you're doing both upper and lower, sometimes it's like with an assault bike, you can really rowing works fine. Yeah. I find a lot better than the assault bike because it's a little bit easier for people to kind of isolate those things. Um, but with assault bike, it switches back and forth. And you see these big, you don't even know what you're looking at. Yeah, anyway. you see these big changes um, because as people fatigue in their legs, they go to their arms. And then as yeah. they fatigue in their arms, they go back to their legs. Yeah, yeah, but rowing works well. I played around with the skier. That's just tricky because everyone has such different technique. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't do it enough. So every time they come to test, it's like a little bit different. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Let's just not do that. All right. But yeah, so I mean, um, yeah, the bike works well because you just have them cycle at a lower cadence. And now yeah. that turns into something that's much more like CrossFit and normal. Mm -hmm. If you're cycling at 100, you know, that's pretty much cycling. Right, right. Right. But when you're cycling at like 40, that's like, oh, that's pretty similar to CrossFit. Right. Right. So that's, and it isolates it right to the legs and the legs are the prime movers are pretty good predictor of everything. We know that with Moxie, with a lot of stuff you can do, even with skier, like he's anyways, but, um, yeah, so that's kind of my whole shebang. And I mean, you do the other stuff too. Like we do Mar, we do, we do the spirometry, checking the capacities, Right. So, yeah, I mean, all the body fat percentage, we do everything, all those little things that come along with that stuff. But, yeah, I think it's just important to try and get good views on what you're looking at. You know what I mean? If you want to test something, but don't make everything the same thing. Right. You know and it mean? all and this is this exactly this is exactly what we started from right there's never going to be a perfect test and there's never going to be perfect technology for any given test especially in crossfit because it's so challenging and the uh, demands are so high and so yeah. different right so like pick something where you can justify what you're testing and why you're testing it and also be willing to admit your limitations with whatever it is you're measuring and then like this is where i think like a good crossfit coach and physiologists need to have like, like the conversations back and forth is like, well, do we really need to test an athlete's physiology during the benchmark tests? Probably not. Yeah. So yeah. have the coach program in those benchmark tests. Whereas mm -hmm. it's like from a physiology perspective, like that's what I was like, oh, well, what would you think about this and this? Like see what the athlete's weaknesses are. And mm -hmm. then from that work with the coach to try to build in things that can address either the limiter or say, say someone's just super weak, like mm -hmm. compared to everything else, like, okay, we probably need to do a strength cycle and maybe yeah. we need to, maybe we can still evaluate VO2 max or like VO2 max and limiters and other things like that. But that's not going to be the focus of say this cycle specifically. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. And I think this is, we're talking about people who are on the cusp of going to the games. Like, yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. as an athlete who has pretty much maximized all of their newbie gains from CrossFit, that's when I would start to recommend to people like, 
yeah, you need to start doing some physiology testing, be a little bit more controlled with your training prescription and like those sort of things. You have to be super dialed, right? In order to be mm -hmm. elite. Whereas like for 99% of the population, continue to go to your CrossFit classes, modulate how hard you go. You can't go hard every single day because it's a super demanding sport. Mm -hmm. And from that, if you're like, you should be making, you should continually be making gains mm -hmm. within CrossFit because of how varied yeah. it is and those sort of things, if you're resting and recovering correctly. Yeah. So that's kind of the practical aspect of things. Matt and I would be more than happy to talk to people about like, oh yeah, what would like, what would you recommend? I'm like this type of CrossFitter, this type of athlete or whatever it is. We'd be more than happy to talk to you guys about it. So hit us up on our, on our Instagrams. Matt's at Resilience HPC and I'm at Critical02. Um, and then all of these podcasts are recorded for YouTube. So feel free to leave comments on those as well. And Matt will get back to you. And it's at Oxidative Potential on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So with that, I think the next the next podcast that we do should actually be talking about what some of the research has actually looked at for like different physiological predictors of CrossFit and stuff like that. So I have a few articles that I think we could talk about and then we could kind of kind of jump back into this and go back and forth on it. So yeah. uh, all right. Well, with that, everybody, have a great one and we'll uh, catch you in the next podcast. Peace.